Now, this episode is part of an ongoing series of Talking Health Tech episodes that are produced in partnership with the Digital Health CRC, where I speak with the digital health leaders of tomorrow who are expressing their ideas, solutions and opinions from a basis of evidence. The Digital Health CRC invests in research and development to support the growth of a strong digital health industry, improve patient outcomes and experience and deliver sustainable digital health solutions. And a core focus for the Digital Health CRC is around education and capacity building to support the next generation of emerging digital health leaders and deliver new and innovative learning opportunities for the sector. To find out more about the speakers who appear in this episode and previous ones in this ongoing series, check out their individual profiles on the Talent Hub section of the Digital Health CRC website. In healthcare, we're very good at pouring money into treating diseases. But imagine if we could be more precise in preventing them in the first place. On balance, public health in Australia is pretty good, but the modern world presents a new set of challenges. And the fact is, we spend way more money on treating diseases rather than preventing or controlling them. It's time to shift our focus from a break-fix healthcare model to one that predicts and prevents health issues before they occur. Can technology be the lever to that shift? Today I speak to Oliver Canfell, a research fellow in digital health at the University of Queensland and he's an accredited practicing dietitian. In this episode we talk about the success and modern challenges of public health and why we focus more on disease treatment than prevention. The idea of precision in public health what that means for healthcare and how digital health serves as a core enabler to predict and prevent health issues, shifting us towards a more forward-thinking approach. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode, or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. Hello, Oliver. How are you? Hello. I'm great, thanks. How are you, Pete? Really good. good great to be good. able to sit down and have a chat with you in the sunniest part of Australia right now in Brisbane. Mm, it's um, pretty warm out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's definitely summer. Have we hit summer? We've, we, we've spring. Spring. We well, may as well be summer. Spring. I had my first iced coffee of the season this morning. Okay, <laughs> now, so it's, now it's definitely summer. <laughs> it's officially. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, Oliver, I'd love to review iced coffees with you on this podcast, mm. but we won't have time. Tell me a bit more about who you are and what you do. I'm a research fellow at the University of Queensland, and I research all fun things in data and digital health to prevent disease. So I trained clinically as a dietitian, uh, worked in children's hospital with patients living with obesity and their families, and that really drove my love and passion for solving wicked problems yeah. um, with new and creative ways. 
plenty of wicked problems in healthcare. So you went from seeing patients in the nutrition dietitian space. Did you say pediatrics as well? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then into the research side? Yes. How did you make that kind of transition over? I was very fresh. I was a very fresh new grad dietitian and I had all of these wild ideas about saving the world and saving healthcare. And I was quickly confronted with the reality and I was seeing these patients living with obesity and all the struggles that come along with that in clinics. And there was one story that really stuck out with me. There was a patient, and I won't obviously share their name, but they came to me solo as an 11-year-old, no family. They came to the appointment, dropped off by a carer, and they were there for weight management. And their biggest problem was that they couldn't go outside because of fear of being heckled and bullied. And I'll never forget that patient. And I just thought, we're just treating people too late. And that really drove my desire to do a PhD and do research and explore how we can predict something like unhealthy weight to prevent it before it um, is too late. Interesting. Yeah, I'd love to learn a bit more about what that research entails, where it comes from. So predicting obesity before it happens? Yes. Yeah. And there's lots of risk factors that we routinely collect in the early years of life, as young as the first thousand days from pregnancy to age two, that are really important for developing future chronic disease. And if we can target those risk factors and identify them and modify them, then we can theoretically prevent. And the size of the problem is material to address. And I guess in healthcare generally, we're quite good at dealing with an issue when it's there. Yes, as opposed to trying to do something about it before it happens. Absolutely. And Australia has one of the best healthcare systems Mm. in the world, and healthcare systems are fantastic at dealing with the issue once it's there. But if population health or if public health was determined solely by the ability of the health system, then we wouldn't have disease because our health systems are so good, and yet we still do. And so the healthcare system is fantastic at treating and managing disease, but there are more people getting older with more chronic diseases. And ultimately, we know now it's unsustainable. And so those new methods of predicting and preventing will become really important to try and reduce that health system burden. Because I think about the healthcare system in Australia, and as you say, a very good one, even particularly comparing to other parts of the world, from a financial perspective for a consumer or a person, we feel very fortunate in Australia that anyone can access healthcare. It's a right. And you look at other parts of the world where your financial situation determines the level of care. And I guess that's relevant also in Australia to some degree. But we do have a lot of money in healthcare that generally, some might say, goes to the right areas. But we probably, I imagine proportionately, if you were to look at, well, how much money do we put into fixing stuff Mm. versus stopping it from happening? It's probably a little bit lopsided. Is that what's coming through in what you understand too? That's right. It's night and day. The percentage expenditure for prevention and public health is something like one or 2% of the entire health budget. And that healthcare system- That feels low to me. Yes, (laughs) yeah. It could be higher. We'll just say that. So that system is what we call a break-fix system. And that really centers care around the disease and how the funding is set up in Australian hospitals and health services, it's all based on activity, which is quite perverse when you think about it, because that means that the more patients a hospital treats, the more sick people that are treated, the more funding that hospital gets. So it enables a cycle of break-fix because there's no reward or incentive for prevention. It's far less 
integrated into our current funding models. Mm. And so it's a perpetuating cycle of breaking and fixing and treating rather than preventing. I reflect on some of the conversations I heard and other people's views, particularly over the last couple of years during the Great Reset, (laughs) when some people's perspectives might be, we spent all this money on preventative measures and look, nothing happened. What a waste of money that was. Mm -hmm. But the purpose of preventative measures is so stuff doesn't happen. Yes. So I sometimes think it's much easier to quantify and demonstrate that there's a problem to solve with something that is broken and needs to be fixed versus preventing something from happening in the first place. Because if it doesn't happen, did you just waste your money? So what's the, like, yeah. I love that you brought that up. That's a great point. You're right. Treatment and management is really easily countable. It's very easily measured and defined and therefore funded because it's much easier to talk about emergency waiting times or infection rates than about something that didn't happen. And so one of the biggest challenges for prevention is figuring out how to count prevention to make it matter. And I'll put matter in very strong inverted quotes because that old adage of what is measured matters is really important. And digital health and data is something that can help us bridge that gap between measuring or making prevention matter through measurement. I love that because we're in a situation that globally healthcare I'm generalizing, but it is much better at treatment than prevention. But we obviously got there for a reason. Mm. And what you say makes logical sense in terms of, well, we we should just, we only spend one or 2% more on prevention. Well, we should spend more, but then that's got to go through a lot of justification and process. And I think that kind of, and you're exactly right in terms of the way that healthcare is funded is demonstrated through that activity. Mm. I'm excited by this point that you just raised right at the end there, that potentially digital health has this opportunity to quantify or measure or demonstrate some of the effectiveness around prevention. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yes. So that's about moving from that break-fix system to a predict-prevent system, which is centred around consumers and their health as opposed to disease-centred and Digital health is one of the biggest and strongest promises to achieve that predict-prevent system. And one of the most obvious applications is healthcare AI Mm. and how AI, and even years before AI with statistics like regression that can predict outcomes. We've been doing this for a very long time. It's just AI has exploded in a very new way. But those systems can start to take the data that we now have it's pretty much ubiquitous, the data. It's essentially the fourth industrial revolution. In hospitals, in primary care clinics, from your watch on your wrist, from social media, you can take that data and apply novel analytics that generate new information that can then be used to predict outcomes and create new models of care that serve to predict and prevent rather than break fix. And mm. That will be the next healthcare revolution, I think, <laughs> I hope. And you made this point as well that We're very much in this trend hype cycle at the moment in terms of the opportunity excitement around artificial intelligence. A lot of it justified and it's just working out the hype from the reality. But I guess some of it's going to be around taking what's real and has existed within healthcare and other industries for quite some time, but then being able to quantify and provide evidence and demonstrate the efficacy. And that's some of the work that you're doing. Yes. And that's the really hard bit. And that's there's some groups across the world who are doing this really well for clinical cases like sepsis Mm -hmm. and have tested AI in hospital practice and have showed a reduction 
in mortality. They've saved lives with AI in hospital care, which is just astounding. Some of the work at our research centre at the Queensland Digital Health Centre is exploring AI and how to use it for other chronic disease prevention activities like in chronic kidney disease or diabetes Mm -hmm. and really figure out how to implement it in the real world. And that's a real challenge. That's cool. That's got this opportunity to use AI to address this real problem around demonstrating the benefit of preventative health. But why is AI so suited towards addressing this problem? Is it just because there's like a crap load of data we need to deal with or is it that it's more precise or what's the angle? Oh, I like that you talked about that word precision or precise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's one of my favorite words and one of the most contentious words, I think, in healthcare. Um, You're right. So AI does create a level of precision, precisely identifying a person or group or public who might be at risk for something to enable early intervention. And that word precision has been floated around a lot Mm. (laughs) across the world and sort of came to light first with the term precision medicine. Yeah. Um, how is that any different to medicine? And it's just, I guess that word precision, and I was watching a talk from the director of the Office for Precision Public Health from the CDC in the States. Mm. His name is Muin Curie, and one of his first slides mocked the word precision, even though mm. it's the name of their <laughs> office. And he had a great slew of pictures up on the slide that was like precision lawn care, like showing different businesses <laughs> with the name precision. And yeah. he said... How is lawn care precision? Like lawn care is just lawn care. I've seen some others for like precision pools, like swimming pools. You (laughs) know, it's just a swimming pool. How is it precision? But in healthcare, what it really means is next generation Hmm. is using data, new types of data that are routinely collected to more precisely target one or more factors at an individual level. It might be social, behavioral, genomic, or a population. could be environmental transport systems, infrastructure, integrating those together to have greater precision over time, place and person, and then intervene with greater effect. I just thought that's what we did when we talk about (laughs) genomics, we say precision medicine. Like, I don't know. (laughs) But I guess you can, like, you know, some startups put an X, like a capital X at the end of the name or or a plus or something. And that's that's the brand. It's a branding X. That's really, I never really thought about it in that sense. But I guess in medicine, you want to be precise. Yes. Everything, <laughs> everything should, should be precise. Everything should be person-centered and yeah. as precise as possible. Yeah. Back when Barack Obama was president of the United States, they launched the Precision Medicine Initiative. And that was a massive investment in the field and creating personalized, as you say, genomics techniques to treat things like cancer in a more precise, individualized way. And I suppose maybe there's no end to the level of precision or personalization that you can get, but it's about advancing that field forward. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness. 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. 
So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. When we talk about genomics, it's an area of precision medicine. I'm not sure if it's just the circles in which I operate in or whatever it might be, but I think because it brings a level of whether it's complexity or certainty or it's difficult to tangibly kind of speak about outside of a lab or a research space or unless you're deep within it. So I find this weird counterbalance where I feel like there's so much potential that could happen in this space, but it's so difficult for the broader ecosystem to understand where it fits in. So the challenge will be if there's so much potential that's coming from new research or areas of medicine that have been otherwise untapped, how do we then integrate that into the current system to actually have tangible kind of benefits? Yes. And I'm not sure how that kind of crosses over dovetails. That's the golden question, mm. how to implement, how to change. That will be disruptive. That was quite similar to when, for example, electronic medical records first came into hospitals and people in a day, it was called a big bang change, they swapped from writing paper notes yeah. to digital systems and that was hugely disruptive. And I think similar will be the new wave of predict, prevent healthcare. And some examples of this, if I just talk about a population level globally who's doing this really well, there's a group at Harvard Population Medicine who've built a dashboard, a beautiful analytics dashboard that takes de-identified data that remains private and secure and monitors from electronic health records linked across the whole state of Massachusetts, monitors chronic disease levels and how they're tracking across the health system and links them with other chronic disease. And it's generating these insights in real time that only traditionally been able to see from a survey that's conducted every five, 10 years. And that's the model we have in Australia is this kind of every five years, this national health survey and at five years, researchers get really excited because there's new data and we can yeah. submit more grants and so on. But this advent of digital and data means we can generate more real-time insights using new types of data to really characterize the problem and from there create more precision policies and interventions. I can think of a load of examples where being able to prevent something, not speaking about, because I want to come back to this point around preventative health in the more traditional, whether that's the right word, the sense that we often talk about it in terms of humans out in the public making behavioural decisions, which will then determine their health. And there's one kind of angle there. But there's also this preventative piece, like utilising predictive models and data to be able to then send an ambulance out to an area that's likely going to have something going on based on previous data sets or being able to have targeted interventions in communities before issues arise or to your data points that you have in the first thousand days of, of, of someone's life. I said data a few times there. We've got to have the data in the first <laughs> place yeah. to be able to do that, yes. right? Yes. Can we even get out of the gate with some of this stuff? Because in healthcare, a lot of stuff's still written on bits of paper in manila folders. Yes, Although we're, that's right. It's improving. <laughs> but, um. It's a slow transformation. We're certainly making more headway than we ever have. Mm. And there's now, just in Queensland, for example, most public healthcare is digital from hospitals. Mm. I think it's about 70% of public health care from hospitals in Queensland is from digital hospitals. So we're slowly getting there, but you're right. There is that question of the digital divide. 
and how most of these new digital systems have been implemented in metropolitan or inner regional areas. And we're missing, there's a huge data chasm in more regional and remote areas. But the paradox is this is where the most burden or the highest burden of chronic mm-hmm. disease is. And so before we can really start to close that health gap meaningfully and take an equity approach with digital health, we first need the data and digital infrastructure in those regional and remote areas. Mm. To this other point around where a lot of the conversations go, particularly with your own background in terms of understanding the body and diet nutrition and how that impacts health, particularly from a chronic disease side, humans, however we're designed, things that people typically enjoy... Mm will usually have some kind of negative impact on their body if the things that they enjoy aren't particularly healthy. For example, choices around food and lack of exercise and whatever it might be. We've talked a lot about the fact that the healthcare system isn't so focused on preventative health and there's the points that we raise there. But for the whole system and the ecosystem to move towards a model that is preventative first, I would imagine it requires the patients, the humans, those that are using the day to day to also have that as a priority. And it's difficult to fathom how you would do that mm. at a large scale mm-hmm. and where you even start with that kind of thing. So you know, I don't know what the answer is there or how that even comes into the scope of this. But yeah, I don't know if that's ever come up in some of your thinking around. We need patients to come along with the journey as well. And I don't know if that's a health literacy thing or if that's Mm. priorities. People talk about gamification and other ways to be able to make these things matter to be able to then actually have an impact. No, I think you've hit the crux of the problem (laughs) or or maybe the crux of the solution. And hopefully they're not patients at that time. Hopefully they're consumers and really prevention happens in the community, but not necessarily by a person themselves. And there's, I think, still this prevailing myth that it's an individual's responsibility and their choices and behavior are their own Mm. responsibility. And that myth has been around for decades and sort of came about from this Canadian white paper that looked into why are we putting so much money into the health system, but our population health isn't improving. And that was the first, in the 70s, the first paper to introduce this term lifestyle and it's someone's lifestyle that creates this condition of health or disease for themselves, and that was framed as a personal responsibility. Mm. When in actual fact, it's the determinants of health, the wider determinants, like social determinants, where someone lives, the postcode, their education level, how much family income there is, could be their biologic, their genetics, the heritability for certain diseases, the environment that they live in, the infrastructure, the planning, the transport, the bike paths, all of those things Mm. influence someone's agency to make choice over their health decisions. I could have totally taken this down a rabbit hole of like philosophy, but that's not the Talking (laughs) Philosophy podcast. I'd be very uh, (laughs) overwhelmed with that and totally (laughs) (laughs) undertrained. However, I feel like that's something that would resonate with many. And it's a problem in the system that if we can do our part in terms of implementing systems that can capture data in a standardized way that can then be more interoperable with other parts and perhaps encourage partnerships and, and integrations with research bodies, with the vendor community, with the communities of need too, there's probably a lot of benefit there. If we don't do a lot of this stuff, like where is this heading? Where are the risks and concerns around if we don't fix this break-fix mm-hmm. <laughs> approach? Oh, I think 
worst case scenario might be a health system that crumbles mm. under the pressure of an aging population and increasing chronic disease. And that would mean that less people get the care that they right. need and that care is the fundamental human right. I think there's lots of inertia for prevention at the moment. And I can see especially this area of digital health as it has exploded. And we saw how incredible it was during COVID. And some of those precision measures using novel sources of data saved many lives. It was There were prediction models to predict cases of disease in mm. neighborhoods and policies were created off those. And there was simulation and monitoring and surveillance. And it was one of our biggest superpowers in COVID. We just need to translate that superpower into preventing chronic disease, which remains the highest burden globally for poor health. And that I think, is the next biggest challenge, but one we're up against. Absolutely. And so we get some of this right and we start demonstrating the um, benefits and quantify and everyone consumes your research and then all, <laughs> and, and everything else in between. What's the future look like and what can we look forward to and where should we be aspiring to? I think if I could put it in one sentence, it would be a public health system that is both proactive, which it already is, mm. and reactive, and so reactive in a preventive sense. And if I could give just a conceptual example, this doesn't exist, but how we might think about it might be aggregating different sources of data together and it might be supermarket purchasing data with rates of chronic disease in certain areas in Australia or the community, along with some of those social determinants of health or environmental determinants, like education level or like the number of active opportunities to be active in a community aggregating those together and monitoring, for example, supermarket purchasing patterns of groups, never of individuals, of groups, and then pushing to them, if you like, a digital push uh, of healthy messaging in real time based on those purchasing patterns yeah. and start to react as well in a preventive way on top of being proactive with prevention. I like that you emphasise the point around groups and not individuals because, you, you know, in superhero movies where <laughs> someone really good has a really good idea, but then there's like the evil person that takes the really good idea and does the really bad things that you could do with the same similar concept. So this point around taking different data points of health information, buying activity and where you are and where the sun is and all that, there's so much good that you can do with that. Mm. There's so much mm. evil that can also take yes. place if it was done incorrectly. And then I think that's the current sentiment globally is around, you know, if you want anything to happen at scale, there needs to be trust and there needs to be buy-in and we need to bring people along that journey. So the challenge is going to be how do you find that balance between mm. doing those good things and not... Yep. Burning the place down. Yes. And it's a, it's a bit of a seesaw. <laughs> I liked your superhero analogy, but I wasn't right. sure which movie you were talking about. I don't know. I, I started getting the, somewhere the and then ones. I got sidetracked. But yeah, any yes. Marvel movie. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> You're right. And the balance really, if we think of one end of the seesaw, if we think of purpose and the purpose being public health benefit mm. with protection on the other side of the seesaw, protecting individual privacy, protecting security, and healthcare systems are sensational at doing that, sensational at protecting privacy. And I guess it's about balancing that purpose in an ethical, governed, secure way to allow researchers, approved researchers and partnerships across different sectors to use that data to improve the public for the public good. 
Well, look, Oliver, I really appreciate you coming in and having a chat and going through some of these points. Looking forward to see where the research takes us into the exciting future ahead. Thanks so much for coming have a chat. Thank you, Pete. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy you a coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.